Mindfulness Mode 217. The more mindfulness that I have, the more power that I have moment to moment, as I get triggered, I can use that as an opportunity. You're listening to today's episode of Mindfulness Mode. I'm your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a repeat listener, Mindful Tribe, thanks so much for joining. Last time on episode 216, I talked with a film producer whose latest film, The Messengers, it's all about podcasters. It was just screened in Tampa, Orlando, and then New York City. His name is Neil Galarte. He's a wonderful storyteller. I'm sure you'll enjoy the episode if you haven't heard it yet. Today, I'm talking with a brilliant woman who shares her wisdom about emotions and how to handle them. She says, and this is a quote, we should use mindfulness to own the opportunity to learn and to grow instead of pushing it out, blaming someone else reacting in a way that's destructive to someone else. And I totally agree. My interview today with Pamela Gold is just really a joy. Sit back and just take it all in, savor it. And here we go with today's episode, Mindful Tribe. Hey, Mindful Tribe. I have Pamela Gold with me today. Hey, Pamela, are you in mindfulness mode? Full-on mindfulness mode. Thanks so much for having me on, Bruce. It's my pleasure. I'm really so happy to connect with you. So, you know what? I'm going to share a little bit with Mindful Tribe about who you are and what you're about. Pamela Gold is a deeply spiritual and insightful thought leader. She's been called our modern-day Yoda, providing deep wisdom and inspiration to all who have an opportunity to connect with Pamela's Pamela with connect to connect with Pamela. Her childhood was spent at the family farm in upstate New York, and later she graduated from Yale University. She entered the business world. She met success at the young age of 24. And after pausing to have a family, she co-founded West Village Parents and went on to pursue her passion for fitness and wellness. And yoga became a new focus in her life, and it connected her love of philosophy, science psychology and wellness and eventually led her to discover her life's work which is teaching inner peace as the key to our greatest evolution and ultimately world peace so i love how we end with world peace aim high (laughs) yeah absolutely aim high and and you can aim high because you have achieved so much already and i know that you will achieve so much more but tell us how you arrived at that i know it's through the yoga i know you saw the connections but i want to hear it from you in your words pamela Yeah, well, I think, I mean, it all starts when we're little, right? I mean, I I was born always kind of with this fierceness and and wanting to figure everything out, you know, so I could be the best possible me. And, and, you know, I always kind of had a natural inward gaze. Um, I I had this kind of inward connection. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of set the stage. But then life, you know, life is very external as we go about, you know, trying to figure out how we can be the best, you know, first at school and in our relationships and then going on through life. So for me, you know, there were there were 
were touch points along the way that were particularly challenging that kept forcing me to get to a deeper level of understanding and awareness and strength and power. Um, you know, whether it was fifth grade, you know, having some some really tough, tricky friendship stuff. Then um, when I was in high school, my mom was really sick. Um, that was really, really challenging. Um, then I had a boyfriend that became a drug addict um, oh. that really was really, really tricky too, to, to kind of stay grounded and, and not lose myself through that process. And then becoming a mom and, and being a wife, that was a lot harder than I had envisioned as well. So all of those um, touch points in life kept challenging me to get to a deeper understanding um, of how to be the best me possible. And it kept getting you know more and more about inner strength. Well, you've really shared that in your book, the inner strength that you've experienced and that you've learned, and you've put together the five pillars, and I'm so thrilled you've sent me the book, and it's awesome to have the book here and to have, have really discovered these five pillars that you've shared. So tell us, what is the first pillar? Would you share that sure. with Mindful Tribe? Sure. So all of these pillars, I mean, it, it's nothing new, right? These are all things that we already are aware of. Um, and it's the practice of them that is that is so important. So mm -hmm. the first pillar is gratitude. Uh, I start with gratitude um, because you have to start somewhere, right? But if, if I were to think about kind of the roots of our strengths, like what is the kind of foundation that's enabling mm -hmm. us to kind of draw in um, this inner strength, gratitude would be where I'd start. Um, that kind of is the grounding force that if we connect with gratitude, that keeps us right in the spot that we need to be for things to flow, for life to flow. Um, and I think we all understand that gratitude is a really powerful force in our lives. And yet it's tricky. It's not easy um, to face the challenges in life, the pain, the fears, things that do not go right. It's hard for us to make sense of that and connect with that stuff with gratitude. And you really shared in the book how you actually do that. You you shared some exact experiences where, you know, something terrible happened. I think you were I, f I forget what it was exactly. You were in the hospital or something. No, I remember one. You said that your daughter <laughs> spilled milk, oh, and yeah, you and you one, yeah, it was yeah. But it's it's but a simple one. Day, but it's right? you know yeah, she spilled milk, and you things. said, well, at least it didn't go all inside the fridge. And then you opened the door, and it's oh, it did go. In. Yeah. And then you said, well, at least it didn't go into the vegetable keeper. And then you went, oh, it did. Oh, and then you it. said, well, at least we weren't headed somewhere, and we're like it was at the last minute and in a rush. Yeah. So there you got one. That you yeah, could, and that's the thing. You just keep yeah. going deeper. And our mind, yeah. you know, our mind isn't good at that. We're wired for survival. So we're wired to kind of find the negative and, and stick to that. And, and we're wired for that. And so it takes a lot of awareness and work to not let ourselves kind of go down that, that complaining path or that negative path to keep reframing it in a positive way and finding where the blessing is, finding how we can authentically connect to a mess like that with gratitude. And of course, that's a silly example. And in the book, I talk about, you know, tragedies and, and when it's really, yeah. really hard. Yes. Um, and that's the thing too, all of these practices, all five pillars, it's the day-to-day -day practice, practice when it's easy. So when life really, really throws something that's hard, um, you have that strength to go there and use those tools to help you in those really, really tough, tough moments. Well, and some of the tools are your sense of spiritualism. That's mm -hmm. something you talk about in the book. Can you share that with us? Yeah. So, so when I say spirituality or, or my inner spirit or spiritual strength, I'm talking about this inner energy flow. So for me, it's all about looking inward. 
and, and connecting with really how I'm feeling, not feeling emotionally because emotions mm-hmm. actually come from our mind. And sometimes we feel our emotions in our whole body, but there's a more subtle kind of sense of flow. And from the time that I was little, again, I always kind of had the sense that when I was happy, I was high. And when I was sad, I was low. And that I, I felt this movement um, when you're angry, you're forward, when you're fearful, you're back. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk about our spirituality or our spirits and keeping our spirits high or finding spirituality, strength. I'm talking about that inner sense of flow. And just like if someone asked you, you know, how are your spirits today? You know what they mean. You mean like, oh, I'm high, I'm low. And that's what I'm talking about. So, you know, I like to kind of find this non-secular way of thinking about our spirit and owning it and tuning into it and really kind of owning it for ourselves and learning it for ourselves because that is where our strength is. It's about keeping that yes. spirit up and how quickly we get back up when we get knocked down because we're going to get knocked down. Yeah. Yeah. We are going to get knocked down. Have you ever been knocked down to the point where you just thought, how do I get up? And if, if so, can you share that story with us? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the biggest challenge, um, well, there's several, but there's one I remember really my, one of the times when I was the youngest that I really was just so dark and so stuck. And I was, I was actually suicidal, um, mm. when I was in fifth grade and I was such a young person yeah. and now my daughter is actually in fifth grade. And so I, I see her and I remember where I was at that age mm-hmm. and I was struggling with friendship dynamics, which at the time were just so big in my life. And it, I felt so, you know, unworthy of love, so disconnected from love. And I really didn't feel like I could go on. I didn't feel like life was worth living. I didn't didn't see the beauty in life or the beauty in myself. And it took a lot of a lot of time and a lot of support, um, tough love from my mom through it, um, not accepting me staying in that place, which kind of forced me by having someone who believed in me so fiercely, it forced me to question my deepest, darkest beliefs, right? Because in those moments when we're really stuck low, it's because we really believe those negative thoughts. Right. Like we really believe them. And it's what we believe that is limiting us. So having my mom, which was an imperfect relationship, of course, as all parent, sure. you know, child relationships are, but she fiercely believed in life. She believed in resilience. She believed in getting back up. So having her fierceness in my life at that time kind of forced me to just stay a little bit open to my own rising up back up. And so that at that point in my life, I think is how it all worked. I hadn't yet figured out the skills that later in life, you know, I've tapped into and that I've shared in the book. Yeah. So what specifically did your mom do? Was it more about what she said to you in, in the dialogue or did she do she something else? to believe. She refused to believe and allow me to believe, right? She wouldn't buy into the darkness that I had kind of subscribed to, right? Like she refused right. to believe it. Right. And so having someone that I trusted on some level absolutely refused to fragilize me. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book. I don't know how familiar you are with fragilization. It's a really important concept yeah. where sometimes we do it out of compassion. You know, we love someone, we see their suffering, mm-hmm. we're trying to protect them, we're trying to keep them from suffering. So we say, oh, I'll help you with that. Or, oh, it's okay. Yeah, I, I won't let you kind of really face the darkness of that. I'll, you know, I'm going to kind of sugarcoat it for you. What we're actually doing in those moments is we're fragilizing the person. My mom did not fragilize me. She would not subscribe to the idea that I couldn't handle it. And she was tough. 
So it's also known as enabling someone, right? Mm -hmm. Some people refer to it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's another, it's another type of enabling. Yeah. There's different types of enabling. Sometimes it's when you're actually kind of supporting them with physical stuff. Sometimes you're doing it mentally, emotionally. And yeah, enabling is all kind of part and parcel of fragilization. And how old were you when you finally came to terms with that's what this is about? Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't think I really had the awareness that, you know, to be like, okay, I, you know, (laughs) Sure. It took it took about six months, I think, which at the time felt like a lifetime. But looking back, I remember being in sixth grade and kind of shifting. And the way that I shifted, the big epiphany that enabled me to climb out of it was was the awareness that kindness was so powerful. And that's when I really discovered the power of being kind to others as a way of pulling myself out of a darkness. And that is one of the tools I talk about in the book that when we're feeling stuck in other, in the other five pillars, using kindness, you know, random acts of kindness, going out of our way to be kind to others helps us start to flow in light and love too for ourselves. Well, you talked quite a bit about your experience in sixth grade and how you felt alienated and you felt like you were the first person who experienced divorce and you were tall and skinny, you said, and you just felt this feeling like you were kind of isolated, I think. That's what I got from it. Yeah, I think so. To feel disconnected and feel not good enough, you know, whatever the traits are, right? There's always something that makes us unique. And if we look at that uniqueness as a negative, right? As something that makes us different, that makes us separate, makes us disconnected, as opposed to, you know, something that makes us special, right? right? And, and it's a power. It's something that's empowering, right? And so that's why yes. teaching our children to have this lens of, you know, embracing the differences, embracing diversity, embracing what makes you special, not as something that's negative that makes you weird, but something that makes you unique and that you can contribute and collaborate in a way that is special and unique. And that I think is a very, very common phase um, that some people don't unfortunately ever necessarily kind of outgrow, right? I mean, I know a lot of people still on a deeper level struggle with this as adults, that we want to be kind of normal. We want to be accepted. We want to find a, find a way to fit in. But if we really try to fit in, we're sacrificing whatever our unique authenticity is. And we're not tapping into our unique genius, whatever our unique way of making the world a better place is. So finding that inner kind of bravery and awareness to be different. You know, I think whether you're in fifth grade or sixth grade or whether you're an adult, I think those skills are are really, really fundamental. Yeah, I think they are. And as an adult, maybe you experience some of this, but I always ask a question about bullying and whether you've got a story you can share with us because mindfulness can help so much as we move mm-hmm. through some of these challenges in life. Do yeah. you have a story to share with us, Pamela? Sure. I mean, I think that, um, again, a lot of it comes from looking back and, and now being a parent. And so I think every child is going to face times when people are unkind, right? Yes, and that's, I that's think what so. I, that's what I define bullying as. When someone isn't being compassionate, someone is putting their own needs in front of someone else's feelings, right? right. And isn't caring about someone else's feelings. Yes. And so everything that I've learned up to this point has influenced my parenting. And so raising my children now, um, they, of course, come home with stories of times when people are unkind. And one of the mantras that I've taught them has been that it is never cool to be rude or to be unkind. So as they face perhaps 
another child that is excluding them and um, being unkind and perhaps trying to make themselves feel better by being unkind. Um, using this awareness that no matter how imperfect we are in any given moment, what I tell my daughter, you always can learn from the from the situation that you could have handled something more skillfully, with more grace, with more compassion yourself. Mm -hmm. But if someone is being unkind to you, that's on them. And so, you know, the story from when I was in fifth grade, when I royally messed something up, of course, the best of intentions. I had a friend who uh, it was the end of the year and it was like an end of the year party. And um, at the end of the day, there was this whole thing where we weren't going to have the party at her house. We were going to have it at our house, but it had nothing to do with her, really. It was all, comp you know, you know, life is it's complicated. Yeah. And I, I saw that she was starting to get her feelings hurt. So I told her what was going on, but I kind of betrayed the confidence of my other friends in doing uh -huh. so. So understandably, my other friends friends are upset with me. Mm -hmm. um, but that kind of spiraled into them being really, or some of them, not all of them, but some of them being very, very cruel. And it was very, very hurtful. And at the time, I didn't have the awareness to recognize, yes, I could have done things better. But if someone's being unkind, if someone's being cruel, that's on them. That's their suffering. That's their lack of skills. And so teaching my children to recognize, yes, we can always do better. But if someone is being unkind or cruel, that is on them and to separate those two things out because otherwise it's really hard to navigate those moments in those times of bullying when it's always oftentimes two things are happening. Sure, we could have handled something better, but the other person is not being skillful with dealing with their own stuff because otherwise they would be kind and understanding like, of course, you're not perfect, but that's not how it plays out. Right. So that's kind of my combination of stories. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, Pamela. Sure. Pamela, I want to talk to you about meditation. Is that part of your life? And if it is, can Absolutely. you share what it looks like in your life? Absolutely. So I started meditating um, uh, a daily practice about four years ago when I went to yoga school. And that's when they taught me to teach meditation. And prior to that, I had tried meditation and I was pretty much convinced that it wasn't for me. Right. It was very uncomfortable. It didn't seem like something that I was going to be able to do which is obviously how we often start new things and yes. keeping open about, well, I may never be the best at it, but practice makes progress. And so when I started meditating, I committed to a daily practice and that was, you know, I got about four years ago and now about two and a half years ago, I met a new teacher who taught me something called Kriya meditation. And so for the last two and a half years, I have been committed to a daily Kriya meditation practice, which is a specific set of techniques, very simple, um, extremely powerful. So now that I'm doing the Kriya techniques, mm -hmm. every morning I wake up a half an hour before my family, so I get a half an hour of meditation no matter what. Hopefully on the weekend I get a longer chunk of meditation in. But using this simple set of techniques every day, I have gotten more and more benefit in my day-to-day -day kind of moment-to-moment -moment mindfulness practice. So the deeper you go, the more often you go, the more you'll start to see moment-to-moment -moment in your daily life that it's easier and easier to be mindful. Right. Pamela, can you share a little bit of specific about Kriya and what that looks like, that actual type of meditation? Sure. Well, you know, it's funny. It's um, it's a lineage that's handed down um, from teachers and teachers. I don't know if you're familiar with Yogananda or Hari Harinanda, um, but those are both practitioners and teachers um, that have come before. And it's a technique that you need to learn from a teacher who is specifically blessed to teach it. 
So it does require kind of inward, you know, attention to the breath, mm -hmm. some very simple um, mudras and um, very simple asana. So you're kind of moving your body in very simple ways. Um, but to learn the actual techniques, you have to go to a teacher. So if you Google it, you can find teachers that teach it, but rarely can you find any of the specific techniques online because there's this honor and respect that you know, these are powerful techniques. And so learning them with a guide is really, really important. But they're so simple. Once you learn it, you know, you, you learn from a teacher and then you can practice on your own. And um, it's, it's something that you then can, can do on your own. Well, for Mindful Tribe, tell us how to spell this so that we can sure. all Google it. Sure. So Kriya is K-R-I-Y-A. Mm -hmm. And Yogananda's, um, there's a book called Autobiography of a Yogi, which actual Michael Singer talked about a lot in his books. It was, it was yeah. a really influential book for him and Steve Jobs as well. Um, that was the book that he said was the most transformative book he ever read. And that was always on his nightstand. And when he passed away, everyone at his funeral got a copy of Yogananda's Autobiography of a Yogi. Oh, so okay. that um, I think that kind of speaks to the power and credibility. And then on Netflix, there's a documentary called Awake that you can look up to um, that are all really good. Just um, again, for your mindfulness tribe, just to start thinking about mindfulness and maybe a broader kind of perspective, having a daily practice that supports the moment to moment being mindful as you go about your life. It's just like going to the gym. You know, if you work out really hard for 45 minutes, as you go about your day, you're going to have a lot of energy and feel strong. And it's the same thing. If you have a formal kind of deep meditation practice, as you go about your day, you'll have this kind of strength in your mindfulness. Well, I really appreciate this because I haven't mm -hmm. seen this this documentary on Netflix either. Oh, you'll so love it. You'll I'm love going it. to look really at that. Neat. And, really yeah. neat. And also read the books. I haven't read that book either. So yeah, I've, great. Uh, I'm really excited about doing that. Great. So yeah, I want to, as we move toward the end of our interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And the first yeah. one is, who is one person that you would say most influenced your mindfulness? I would say it's my my Kriya um, yoga teacher, Don Baba, Don okay. Abrams. He teaching me these techniques has been a shift that I could never have imagined. So oh, my Kriya that's, teacher. That's, yeah. that's wonderful. And how has that affected your emotions if it has? Has that made oh, a difference to absolutely. how you has it? Tell us about that. An understatement of the century. <laughs> so as you know, the more mindful we can be the more we have a buffer between what we feel like we originally are going to react, how we're going to react, and then how we choose to respond, right? So feeling angry, feeling sad, feeling our emotions, that is, is never bad, right? Those feelings are always teaching us something. It's always an opportunity to learn. The question is, how do we handle them? What are we going to do with that energy? And so the more mindfulness that I have, the more power that I have moment to moment, as I get triggered, I can use that as an opportunity, own that opportunity to grow and to learn instead of pushing it out, blaming someone else, reacting in a way that's destructive to someone else. Because at the end of the day, our relationships are based on trust. And so if we act out of, of these negative emotions and blame someone else for how we feel, we're going to be undermining the strength of our relationships. So it's transformative. The, the more my mindfulness power has improved, 
Now, the more my relationships have improved, the more I'm empowered moment to moment to take these emotional reactions and use them for good, like take anger and the energy that comes with anger and then transfer that to something constructive because that energy is powerful and it's nothing to be ashamed or feel bad about. It's something to be used for good always. Oh, I like that. How has uh, your breathing changed as a result Mm -hmm. of this? Can you give us some insight into that? Absolutely. I mean, breathing and our mind go hand in hand. So actually on on the website, on my website, I share a breathing guide because while we sometimes feel like we can't control our minds, we can always control our breath. And one of the things I learned in yoga school and that I've played with and, and refined is how by focusing on different parts of our breath, we can kind of control and hack the way our mind is handling something. So by keeping our breath even, we keep our mind even. By focusing on a pause between the exhale and the inhale, we cultivate compassion. And so all of these tools I've gotten better and better about, so I don't have to think about it as I do it, right? In the beginning, like when you're learning to ride a bike, you have to really think about, oh, the balance and the pedaling, and it's like, whoa. But then eventually you learn to ride the bike and you can kind of just do it. And so now over years of practice, my breathing naturally will kind of just fall into what I'm trying to cultivate. If I'm trying to connect, I'm trying to be compassionate, I naturally will hang out in that pause between the exhale and the inhale. If I know I'm going into something and I want to do a really good job, I'll take this big breath in to feel empowered. You know, when I feel like, whoo, I'm struggling, I'm feeling that, that toxicity of, of anger or something. I just got hurt and I'm feeling pain and I want that to pass. I'll naturally keep breathing out and keep focusing on that exhale to clear that, that pain. And so the breathing, my breathing has shifted night and day. Oh, I love how you describe it. And I love how passionate you are about the way you describe it. I'm like, I can't believe I didn't learn this until I was 30 something. And so now teaching children this, kids eat this stuff up because they know it works. They're like tuned into it. And so they're like, oh, this is great. So the kids that I teach this to, they go home and teach their parents. They're like so excited because they really feel that it's a tool that empowers them because it really works. It really does work. Oh, that's, that's great. Can you recommend a book? And I know you've mentioned a couple of books, but Mm -hmm. what book would you recommend to Mindful Tribe, which is related to mindfulness? Yeah, well, you already talked about Michael Singer, Yes, The Surrender Experiment, which is a great first book from Michael Singer. But the first book he actually wrote was Untethered Soul. Right. So if you already read The Surrender Experiment, Untethered Soul is actually what I started with. And that book really, really shifted my awareness to a deeper level. And there are things that I learned in that book about kind of tuning in and get under, kind of getting underneath pain and fear and letting it bubble up instead of like, you know, controlling it and pushing it back down. Untethered soul taught me a lot, a lot of really important skills and awareness. So that book, I highly recommend if you or the mindfulness tribe haven't, haven't read it. Yeah. And of course, I'll put your own book, Find More Strength. I highly recommend. Yeah, highly recommend. I I felt called to to write it, to share this stuff. I didn't, you know, that was just like, I felt called to write it and, and share it. So I highly recommend that too. Well, well, it's a powerful book and I, I recommend it as well. I really enjoy it. And I will put this in, in our show notes as well. Do you recommend an app which helps with your mindfulness? So I think for people, I mean, I know the Mindfulness Tribe, you guys are, are committed to this and hopefully the practice is, is going really well. Um, there's an app, Stop, Breathe, Think. 
or Stop, mm-hmm. Think, Breathe. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. It's really great when you're starting out because sometimes, you know, I talk to people about mindfulness and they're like, they're just not there yet. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're struggling to really start this mindfulness practice and have right. it take hold. Mm-hmm. And so this app, Stop, Breathe, Think, it's a great starting point because it's that initial wait before you can really start practicing mindfulness. You have to catch yourself and you have to have that spark of awareness to stop and breathe. And so that app is great because it, it has those kind of triggers in there um, to start that kind of process. I think that's a great app that I, I only learned about recently that I thought was great for people. Right, right. Well, I appreciate you sharing this insight. And sure. and your book is terrific, like I already said. Thank you yeah. so much for being on the show today, Pamela. How can our listeners, how can Mindful Tribe connect more with you and maybe just follow you? Sure. Well, I have a website, goldevolution.com. Um, there is a welcome page for your listeners that maybe you can put in the in the show notes as well, um, specifically. And I do have some free um, sources, some free guides on there. The breathing guide is on there. There's a free seven-minute morning meditation mm-hmm. that's based on the five pillars. It's kind of a nice starting meditation. Um, and then you can also get the first chapter of my book for free on my website as well. Great. Well, thank you so much, Pamela. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much. This is such a pleasure. Thank you, Mindfulness Tribe. Yeah. Bye now. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. In appreciation, I'll mention you at the top of an upcoming show. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.